Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about all the jobs reports and what that data means for mortgage rates. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. What a wonderful jobs Friday to be here, Sarah. We have so much to talk about. We do. I don't know that it's so wonderful for the mortgage industry. Okay, so recap, what did we learn on Jobs Friday? Where are we at? Well, the headline numbers uh, missed estimates just a tad. Um, Revisions were down 110,000. The job growth data uh, is slowing from its kind of torrid pace it used to have. Uh, Wage growth is a little bit hotter than what was anticipated, but the story is the same. We're in uh, makeup mode still, but we're getting closer toward the end uh, uh, of the makeup labor that we lost during COVID. Uh, but the real story lately is the 10 year yield has uh, shot right back up to the uh, uh, yearly highs just for 2023. And of course, people, you know, start to think uh, 8% mortgages. Is that a possibility? Spreads are bad, you know, and. Uh, a lot happening uh, really since uh, two weeks ago after uh, jobless claims had that uh, a very positive print heading down lower. So one of the things that's really complicated things this week is is the jobs data and how the Fed interprets that jobs data. We even had people, you know, Fed people coming back on and be like, oh, okay, uh, jobs are stronger than we thought. Maybe we need to start raising rates again. Where, where are we on this? I, you know, I, I, I hearken back to, you know, last year when the Federal Reserve told people, we want, you know, the Fed funds rate to be roughly around where core PC is, um, personal consumption expenditures. That's their 2% target. They completely lied about that. The fact that they even raised rates the last three times and talking about raising rates again, shows that uh, it, there's this perpetual fear of the 1970s. And since most of them are uh, elderly people, uh, legacy means a lot to them at this stage. Uh, and it, if it's almost like, like I said, a kind of a badge of honor to keep raising rates until you see uh, the labor market break. And that's been, you know, my, my premise. There's, uh, if we kept, if we kept them to their word, which I was really happy about last year when I heard that, um, but then toward the end of the year, something changed. The, the, again, I, I say this now, somebody spiked the Fed's eggnog at the Christmas party and everything uh, changed after uh, 
2023. We had the banking crisis. The spreads have gotten worse. So uh, they have not been friends of the housing industry, of course. Uh, they don't really comment on the housing industry. They think, oh, maybe it's bottomed and stuff. So uh, the fear of the 1970s is still in the mindset of the Fed. And that that's the only explanation I could say about when they told everyone last year that they, they want to keep the Fed funds right uh, where the core PC levels, and they're not. They look like they're going to hike again uh, um, in, in the next meeting. But, um, you know, the, the growth rate of inflation has been falling. I mean, with a tighter labor market, and that's kind of people like us that says you you don't have to worry about the 1970s inflation or the labor market creating uh, uh, inflation. If wage growth was creating inflation, then wage growth has been cooling down for for some time now. So you don't have to crash the plane; you could just land it. And uh, there's this constant back and forth between certain Fed members talking about, oh, we need we need to be tighter, we need more rate hikes and everything. And the whole premise was to keep rates up so you don't have to cut them. And uh, um, uh, e- even though some people say, well, there's talking tough. No, we're past done talking tough. We've already pushed rates as f- fast as possible. The whole premise was to do that to take time out. So it's not useful that President Logan, not me, President Logan from the Dallas Fed, uh, was very uh, hawkish, um, uh, as you could imagine. Really bearish American citizens love that. They just want, they just want, they just want the Fed to keep on hiking, hiking, hiking until they break something. Because people losing their jobs makes these people happy. But in any case, uh, it, the ten-year yield has gone up since the labor market got better two weeks ago, and we're testing that kind of the yearly highs. So people ask, can mortgage rates get to eight percent? That's the question I'm asking you, Logan. Can mortgage well, rates get to eight percent? Here's here's an interesting thing. So for me in 2023, I do bond market channels tied to mortgage rates. Uh, obviously, the growth rate of inflation falling is not my main thing for this year. Uh, it was jobless claims data. So when jobless claims data fell down noticeably uh, uh, two weeks ago, bond yields just spiked up. It wasn't so much on the GDP data being revised. Uh, and a tighter labor market, the Fed doesn't like wage growth being at 4.4% is not, it's unacceptable for the Federal Reserve. You people making more money. No, no. Um, so in this context, when the claims data got better, bond yields rose and we're, we're not at four and a quarter, the peak of the forecast, but, uh, we're kind of test, uh, getting up there. And the question is with the spreads being bad now, can we get to 8% mortgage rates, well, this would mean that my forecast uh, was wrong. Uh, the 10-year yield breaks over four and a quarter. And for that to occur at, at this point, I mean, the economy has to just take it into a, another gear. Uh, again, first world problems, you know, more jobs, more, you know, wages, but uh, that that would break that four and a quarter uh, level. So far, it hasn't happened. But the fact that the spreads are worse after the banking crisis, remember the Fed said, there's no banking crisis. None of our rate hikes have ever done anything. 48 hours later, we're, we're saving banks over the weekend. Um, so right now, everything is still somewhat intact, but you can make a case for 8% mortgage rates. It does need the 10-year yield to break above four and a quarter, though, uh, and the spreads to stay uh, very bad. That would get you there. As of right now, I still don't see that happening. Uh, uh, but considering how we're still talking about raising rates and stuff, 
in that matter, and the, the economy is, is still staying firm on the labor side, uh, that would be the best premise to get above four and a quarter uh, to get to 8% mortgage rates. But it, it has to be something that sticks. It can't be like a bond market sell-off event. The dollar got strong and then we just shoot right back down. Uh, that's why, you know, when I do these forecasts, these ranges, majority of the year, the ranges should stick. That's what's happened. The range has stuck 100% of the time so far this year. So I'm in a, I'm in a different camp than a lot of people, but I look off of labor data and that 10-year channel. So in that context, it's someone looks the same, but I, I say the story of the year is that the banking crisis made the spreads worse. That that to me is 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 more important because things were getting better uh, before the banking crisis started on the spreads and they just got worse and have stayed worse. So I like what I hear there. It, in your opinion, and you know, when you obviously your your forecast for this year did not Forecast 8% rates. And even with these changes, you feel like we will still stay within your range, which was what's the upper range? So the, uh, on mortgage rate side, seven and a quarter, but I mean, that seven and a quarter is no longer valid with the spreads being uh, uh, bad. So that, that's, that's why I always highlight the spreads. Uh, I, I never thought the spreads were going to get great, but they weren't going to get worse and they got worse. So and the spreads, when you say that, what are you talking about? Just the spread that. between the thirty-year, thirty-year uh, mortgage and the ten-year yield. Um, historically, it's about one point six to one point eight percent, and we're over, you know, three percent in, in some of the pricing. So mortgage rates should be much lower; should be a percent lower than what they are right now. But the spreads, the spreads are bad, and the Fed doesn't comment on it, right? Because the Fed's just given up on housing and just don't know what they say, and they make up stuff, and it's it's frankly getting embarrassing at this point. I, I would love to just have them sit down for like one hour, give me a chalkboard, give me a chalk. And I could explain a lot of things because some of the, some of the statements they're making is just like, it's like things that YouTube people would say, right? So, um, so as of right now, the labor market isn't really like overheating, but it's not breaking. I think that's <clears throat> for some people that <clears throat> were looking for lower rates, the labor market would have to break. Uh, jobless claims would have to break higher job openings have to go lower. Those things are heading in that area, but they haven't broken yet. And you know, you've made the case that uh, the economy would have to break out and be much stronger than it, than what you think it currently is. What are what are some of the data points coming up that you'll be looking at to see like is that possible? Well, number one, the the job openings data has fallen noticeably from its recent highs, so the labor market is not as tight. Um, if you make some adjustments to wage growths and hours, you know, wage growth is, is not accelerating higher at all. So we're getting the snoffness of the market, but I think a lot of people were thinking the recession was going to happen and jobs were going to be lost. Um, and that would really mean jobless claims have to break over 323,000. That's why we don't, we don't say recession until that data line breaks. Jobless claims have to break. Uh, um, uh, until the recession happens. So until that's the case, that's the that's the main data line everyone should be focused on. And two weeks ago, it really showed itself. Once the claims data got noticed, we better bond traders were like, oh boy, I'm off sides. And they sold bonds uh, pretty aggressively right off the bat. So it's, it's a very meticulous uh, uh, economic year. I mean, you have to really be into the data uh, daily and, and, and weekly, but uh, the labor market is softening. It just hasn't broken. And that's what the Fed is really looking for. They're looking for a broken labor market. They, they, they have always stated they want the labor supply to be more. 
which means uh, they want more people unemployed or more people looking for work. The jobless claims getting higher or job openings going lower are things that they're advocating like they're pursuing this. This is why they say, oh, the labor market's too strong. Labor market's too long. President Logan, labor market's too strong. It's too much, you know? People are, people employed and making more money, bad, 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 bad. So um, uh, it, it's harder to stick with that line with the growth rate of PPI inflation and CPI inflation. I mean, uh, we're about to do the 12-month tour again of the uh, core CPI and PCE being impacted by rent inflation. So it's going to get harder and harder for them to just keep on saying this. Um, like President Logan talked about, I haven't seen any uh, any um, um, positive movements in inflation. I show the year-over-year PPI uh, inflation data. It's almost back to pre-COVID levels. So it's uh, uh, there's a point where you where you just, pardon my language, just shut up. Just go with it. Just like, like, you don't, you don't have to create a recession. Just do what you originally planned and stick and hold it, hold it for longer, but you don't have to keep on saying labor is bad. Labor is bad. Labor market is too strong, you know, and that's just the country is not going to accept that. We just had the greatest recovery ever in the labor market. We have prime age labor force growth, labor participate. All these things are at such highs. These are positives, not negatives, right? So, uh, uh, if you were in the 1970s, right, you, you'd have a different case. We don't have the 1970s inflation. So this is where it starts to get, what are you doing? What are you saying right now? Right. What was the pause for? And now doing this, like you're like, take the victory lap. Right. And, uh, I, I just don't think they will. I just think this is just inherently into this group. Um, uh, and it, it really was frustrating seeing those comments, considering how much progress we've made in terms of the growth rate of inflation. Uh, core, of course, is sticky. There's some reasons for that. Used cars, prices, rents, but you know, you don't you don't have to push it at this stage. Where did we see it in the labor reports about who was losing their job? Uh, I mean, it, it, when I when I think of the labor data. Um, leisure and those things are still in recovery mode. So the service sector jobs are are getting there. There's warehouse jobs. There's some high paying jobs. But one thing that and and I and I try to stress this with the jobless claims data. There's the initial jobless claims, and then there's the continuing claims. And this will be a good good topic because of you know Elon Musk and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Elon Musk fired a bunch of people at Twitter. Uh, and guess what? Facebook hired them. So you can have the initial shock of a tech layoffs. Like we've talked about, you know, the uh, Amazon's laid off people, uh, uh, Facebook, all these tech companies that hired a lot during the pandemic, they're laying people off. But because continuing claims, which means uh, you're, you're filing for unemployment benefits after 10 days, that thing is starting to, to go lower, right? That means th- there's still enough labor out there for some of these people to get Job. So even if you saw a jobs report that had warehousing and information tech lost, um, what you could see is that it doesn't take much for these people to find work. And that's one of the things with the Federal Reserve is they don't believe you could have a big job loss recession with job openings above 9 million. Uh, they would like to see job openings around 7 million, but they're kind of really confident on that. There, a lot of people hate the job openings data, but uh, they're very fond of it. So we have to go with that to get their mindset. So that's why if, if, if they seem somewhat fearless, 
it's that data line that gives them the 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 cushion. Okay, we also, of course, had the purchase application data come in uh, this week. What did that tell you? Well, you know the. the we had a negative five percent on the seasonally adjusted, but the uh, uh, um, not seasonally adjusted was positive. We we always want to take the seasonally adjusted data uh, on this, and uh, we had a sh- a string of three weeks of positive growth, uh, and uh, we we saw weekdays. We always are mindful of any data line around a holiday, so that's just the rule of thumb. But uh, higher mortgage rates so far this year has not created the downturn like we saw last year. Of course, uh, my working theory is that we're at such low levels of home sales right now that we're dealing with a different type of home buyer than we had when existing home sales were at 6.5 million. So the affordability indexes that people like to use a lot, it's not as bad for this group as it is up there. So that missing you know, 2 to 2.3 million home sales that we had before rates rose this group typically does better uh, uh, with higher rates and higher home prices. And that can explain the waterfall dive in demand stopping, even though <clears throat> mortgage rates, you know, seven and a quarter, you know, they're not that far from the highs we saw last year. It's just a different type of uh, home buyer. And this hopefully explains that the data is just stabilized. So year to date, 13 positive prints, 12 negative prints. So with all that said, purchase apps are still positive for the year. If I go back to November 9th, remember everything changed on November 9th, uh, it's still 20 uh, positive prints versus 12. So uh, the market does need lower rates to, to, to get more sales. I mean, that we saw a brief three-month period in November, December, and January, rates getting down to 6%. Of course, the builders are doing better because uh, they're in a sub-6% world. Uh, so we still need mortgage rates for more, lower mortgages for more demand. But the the bleeding, and I'm talking when I mean bleeding, man, last year was the biggest home sale collapse ever recorded. I will say that day in and day out because I don't think people still understand what happened last year. That was a historical event. Uh, that has stopped. And again, you have to think of it in context. We have over 156 million people working, right? Uh, millions of people buy homes uh, every year. There are certain people who do better financially than others. So you have to think about the when you're at such low level of sales, of course, the the, the better financial group uh, people are buying at this stage. But uh, definitely the, the market for growth for existing home sales needs lower rates. There's just no, uh, we have enough data to show us this, that stabilization is one thing, but to get growth, you definitely need lower rates for longer. Where, where is that? You and I have talked before, and last year we talked about if rates could get back to the 5.99% that we saw some some things happen there. At, at the point we're at now, what is the level that you think would boost home sales a little bit? Like what what mortgage percentage? Well, here's, 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 here's one way to look at this. When mortgage rates went from 7.37 down to 5.99, it gave us three good months in a row of positive purchase application data. That gave us one of the biggest home sales monthly prints ever, uh, almost 600,000 for month to month. That's very abnormal. And that was in, all, in, in March? Yeah, that, that, that was in March for the, for the February print. But what, what you need is you need rates to go lower and stay lower so people can feel comfortable about, okay, I want to buy a house, but now the mortgage rates are 6%, not 7 I feel comfortable. You don't need rates to spike up, right? Back up then. Then it's just like, it doesn't do any good. So 
if mortgage rates could get down to five, five to five and a half percent and just stay there for a while, um, you could see a material change in the sales data because we saw what happened from 7.37 to 5.99. Of course, the builders are already doing this. So their their sales are up 20% year over year. Uh, but the existing home sale market is limited. And again, it's it's a much different market for the existing home sales market because the seller is a buyer and the seller has to like a home that's out there. And you know, there's all these different variables where a new home sales market, they sell it like a commodity. So uh, definitely higher mortgage rates, not a positive. Lower mortgage rates are a positive. Uh, even with, we had, you know, 4 million jobs created last year in 2022. Didn't matter. Mortgage rates shot up. That rates uh, 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 matter, even though we were coming from a historically low level. Uh, affordability does uh, uh, change the marginal home buyer in and out. It's just that core 4 million. This is why I say, as long as rates stay high, you could actually break under 4 million here uh, in existing home sales market, but the velocity is different now. It's not like it's crashing. It's just these back and forth sales prints kind of what you see in traditional uh, housing markets. But uh, definitely, I, 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 you, you can hear the frustration of so many people. It's just, we are in such a unique demographic period of time and young people just want to buy homes. Everyone kind of wants it. And it's just the rate factor is still uh, uh, keeping that at bay for the existing home sales market. You know, uh, this is why the, all of these factors are why you you labeled the housing market savagely unhealthy once again, right? What has it been like three weeks ago now? Yeah, it's, you know, the days on market, of course, uh, the, the total payments of housing is up year over year because prices are not falling. Uh, so it's getting too many people chasing too few homes and uh, the days on market are back to 18 days. So it's just, it, it's so frustrating. I mean, I, I think about this period in time that I was waiting for for so long. And I thought the one thing that could ruin this if home prices escalated out of control and then rates spiked, but rates spiked in a bigger fashion than history. So a lot of these things, it's just an unfortunate time now that this this is happening. But uh, you could also see the strength of the demographic profile of the U.S., and you know us being able to hold that line at four million, even though rates were uh, above seven percent, it just shows you that the the, the mass workforce, uh, especially those with dual household incomes, those people are still buying homes, uh, and they they stop the bleeding. Even the Fed talks about, well, it looks like housing is bottomed and stuff, but I I always have that line in the sand at four million, and uh, we broke it really under uh, two thousand eight. We didn't break it during COVID. We didn't break it here, uh, but you can make a case for it because the affordability issues are still with us. Uh, home prices are still high. Mortgage rates are high. That's the double whammy effect. That's the savagely unhealthy housing market. Of course, total inventories are near all-time lows. New listings data are at all-time lows. So there's there's these things that are just not, n- not positives for the housing market. We, we believe in supply and choices, right? When people have choices, competition, stuff like that, that's a good thing for for the housing market. But uh, not having a lot of active listings, is it? You know, we uh, we did a story earlier this week um, that one of the reporters wrote about um, what are some of the ways that you know this can be addressed. One of the things that someone brought up that they interviewed was you know if you give an incentive to sellers, especially investors, if you're like if you sell to a first time home buyer, you don't have a capital gains tax. You know, like there are some levers that can be pulled here. You know, is there 
you know, is that ever going to happen? I don't know. But like from your perspective, from a policy perspective, what are the levers that could be pulled that would make this situation better? So if you wanted to do an immediate fix, um, you would offer tax benefits to investors and then uh, uh, have a timeline to it. So they'd have to make their choices fast. If you do it a lifeline, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they will take it. Uh, that could pull some people. Uh, uh, I mean, trust me, if you can, if you make zero capital gains tax for some people, because certain people are sitting on a lot of uh, wealth on there, so, some people will move on that. Again, you're, you're, you're then talking to Congress and politics. And politics is what, Sarah? It's the word <laughs> itself. Poly ticks many blood sucking parasites that's that's a world i can't even operate in so i'd have to see something passed and what what occurs um one of the things that i think politicians don't want is giving investors a tax break and kicking a renter family out um uh, i think that's 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 i mean just just from my experience that's not a good look because you're you're giving money to the wealthy and you're kicking people out, and then families have to move, find somewhere else to live. And if there's a ton of videos and pictures, it just it doesn't it doesn't good well because then you think well the the rich are getting a deal and then the renters are getting kicked out. I think that's if, if something hasn't moved in that direction, that's what I tell people. Uh, uh, why that hasn't occurred. It's uh, politicians fear the backlash of giving uh, investors a tax break while kicking renting families out of their homes. And as we know, because we've talked about this, the number you know of people are like, but what about all those Airbnb houses? The total number of Airbnb houses is still very low. Well, you know, in in, in 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 theory, if you if you made a law to ban all uh, Airbnb homes. You know, I, I don't know if legally you can do that, but that that would give you supply. It's just that when those homes are bought, then what? Right. You know, then what are you going to do? That's why I always say that Airbnb is less than one percent of the total housing units in America. So you think the entire housing dynamics are going to change for less than one percent? Those are some good drugs you're taking, by the way. Okay, <laughs> so 144 million uh, housing units are out there. That one percent changed the entire landscapes that have been here for over four decades. Yeah, go with that one. Um, short-term fixes are short-term fixes. Long-term fixes are different. And part of this is that uh, first world problems, Americans are doing really good. You know, the whole, f the, my, the reason I religiously talk about fixed debt costs, rising wages day in and day out for like 10 years is that I don't, I still don't believe people understand that when you have a 30 year fixed, your wages rise every year. Um, and your total housing costs in terms of the debt costs goes lower. And during an inflation period of time, your wages go up even more. So you're doing like, this is your golden ticket. Like the, I mean, this is a historical, the American 30 year mortgage is like this golden egg. Uh, um, and uh, all this wage growth that the Fed hates, all these homeowners are like, awesome. I've been living in my home for 10 years. I refinance my, my total payment. I, I'm chilling here. And it, it, it's it's it was interesting. I actually just recently talked about this. I was trying to, I was trying to explain inventory and 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 uh, credit channels to to uh, stock traders. And I said, think about you like having you know a thousand dollar housing cost, 
and your wages are rising every day and your 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 that thousand dollar cost gets less and less and less and then you're told you have to sell your thousand dollar cost to a five thousand dollar cost well some of you make enough money as you get older and that five thousand dollar cost is not an issue but if you don't boy your life is in a really good spot so you're not pressured like renters or, or other people because your biggest expense is 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 still low so uh, it, it's one of the reasons why inventory channels have been stable for four decades outside of 2005 to uh, 2008, where you had forced credit sellers, where they didn't have the luxury of a fixed debt payment or, you know, selling a house to buy another one, right? So uh, that, that's how we try to teach inventory channels so we could explain the last four decades. And then what's going on here, you know, like back then, the inventory levels were 2.5 million to 4 million. That was the range of, of 2005 to 2007. Here, it's 1.57 to 850,000. 1.57 to 850,000. Okay? So you have to explain why is this happening. I don't, we all can see the the answer, but why? And I think that's that's part of my work is trying to explain why 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 won't people give up their good life, you know, just for a pack of hyenas running around saying bubble crashes, bubble crashes, bubble cry. No, no. So we have to explain why the educated class go, hmm, my life is pretty good. You know, what do I have to do? What, 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 what do you want me to do guys? You know? And then, and then in that context, if you say it in that light, people start to go, wait a second, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, it, and in a way, you've you've made this point at a conference before where, where homeowners are today is a result of um, you know, the mortgage industry, the real estate industry doing such a great job over the last however many years. Oh, yeah. And, um, I mean, um, mortgage people put people in great loans. They refinance them. You you have you have facilitated the greatest shield against inflation ever recorded in history. Uh, but but not so good for the for the mortgage industry, right? I mean, it it runs on uh, buying and selling. Uh, it runs on transactions, which are at just you know they've just gone to a standstill. Yeah, the transaction volume. You know, there's one thing to have the biggest home sale crash ever, and but if it happened like in 1971, there was a lot less people working there. Here, you have over 156 million people working. So when you adjust it to the civilian employment, it's like it's even a bigger deal uh, um, out there. So it's. You know, it, it, Sarah, it's savagely unhealthy, right? You it know, is I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the okay. The, we have a problem with inventory, unhealthy housing market, savagely unhealthy, without trying to create, you know, a, a, a way for people to understand. Um, and you know, people are just—they're still sending me pictures of bidding wars in parts of the U.S. and even in Southern California. Again, we're bidding, and it's just like. Now that sales are down so much, people go, wait a second. Logan was right. It was always about supply. It wasn't Logan because is right, but we wish he wasn't. Record-breaking demand. And once, you know, like Jay Powell said, housing was in a bubble. Well, if it was a bubble, supply would be escalating out of control. Oh, missed it by that much. So um, different cycles, different wars, you know, uh, we adjust to everything. And the reason why the history of bubbles aren't in the same sector really is that what created the bubble back then gets taken care of and what created the bubble back then 2005 bankruptcy reform laws 2010 qm mortgage laws qualified mortgage these things have facilitated um some of the some not not some excuse me the best looking middle class loan uh, profiles we'll ever see in the history of america 
as somebody whose family has been in banking since the late 1950s, it doesn't get any better than this on any data line set we've ever seen. Logan, thank you for joining us again today, walking us through this. Fingers crossed that, you know, you are correct, um, that, you know, mortgage rates aren't headed towards 8% and that hopefully we could even get them a little bit lower. Um, I know in your case, it's not fingers crossed. You're looking at lots of data and you feel very confident about that. Uh, but just for the mortgage industry, I just, I just don't want to see another blow coming their way. Yes. Lower mortgage rates at this point of this, you know, it's a positive, right? Clearly. Positive. You know, uh, um, housing is a very important sector to the U United States of America and its economy. And the frustration of people dealing with the super spike in rates and rates staying higher and with the growth rate of inflation falling, it's like frustrating to see. But um, uh, they, they don't, this is not the 70s. So this will pass at some point. And then uh, even getting rates just down to 6% does change. But 6% with duration is the real key. 6% would seem like a dream right now. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Logan. We will look for the housing market tracker this weekend as you get the inventory data in and uh, appreciate you so much. Pleasure, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment and make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.